politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for Thursday, May the 28th. And boy, is there a lot to talk about. Civilization killing issues, anarchy, tyranny, mixed together, all converging on the state of Minnesota. Do we have a country left? Do we have a society, a civil society left? We have about a a year's worth of a news cycle packed into one day. Certainly stuff going on with the virus, data, tyranny, legislation, immigration stuff. We have a bunch of Republican senators demanding more foreign labor at a time of God knows what, you know, 20, 25% unemployment. Who is speaking for the forgotten American citizen? Well, that's why we are here. We have the Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary Facebook page. You could sign up. Our Miniman Speakeasy, our private Facebook page. But this will be our last show here in May. I'm taking a long weekend off. I'm going to be out tomorrow, Friday. So we're going to try to pack everything in today, which is going to be very difficult. But we started this month questioning whether the reign of tyranny in April will give rise to flowers of freedom in May. Well, we do have a freedom movement budding, but boy, oh boy, do we have challenges with the worst mixture of tyranny and anarchy. So I'm going to come back to the virus stuff a little bit later. Last couple of days, we've been theorizing a little bit, moving away from the more black and white, ideologically driven stuff that I typically give you where I'm certain about my views, I'm confident about what's right and wrong. We've theorized about just different behavior of of the virus itself. Now we're going to move back to black and white. And I don't mean race, which the left wants to make everything racial. I mean right and wrong. And unlike most others, I'm not scared to broach these topics because when you believe justice is blind and you believe in law and order... Race shouldn't matter. But unfortunately, people are too scared of this. Now, let me tell you something. An old trick of the media to stir up trouble is to take a country of 330 million people, take one or two videos in a vacuum, stoke people up about those videos that should be limited to the implementation of justice for one individual And they want to portend broad public policy initiatives and create a broad policy narrative out of it. When often those instances that they want to blow up are actually exceptions to a rule, not the rule, and actually mask and obfuscate a broader public policy problem that is really the opposite of what they're trying to do. I mean, again, we see this with the virus itself. They look at a vacuum of people dying from coronavirus without giving you a broader context. Where where is this coming from? What's causing it? Where are we headed? What's your solution? Who says your solution helps? We have another article out today. Very important how time and again, wherever lockdowns are avoided or they're eased early, like in Japan in the latter case or eased early in the case of Denmark and Switzerland and Austria – 
and Florida and Texas and Tennessee, Georgia, we don't see a resurgence in cases, in deaths, in hospitalizations. But nonetheless, all they have to do is publish names of people dying to evoke and invoke a specific insidious public policy outcome. The media is doing the same thing with the rioting over George, George Floyd in Minneapolis. So obviously by now everyone's seen the video of a cop putting his knee on this guy's neck. It doesn't appear like there was an underlying crime that was very bad like we see all over. Supposedly was caught giving a $20 counterfeit bill in some store. And clearly it didn't warrant it. Clearly, you know, we need a trial obviously, but from what we can see it, it appears to be straight up murder. And this this happens. It happens. There are bad police officers. There's bad military personnel. There's bad people. There's bad doctors, as we're certainly seeing. There are bad people in every profession. And there there is no inclination that justice is not going to be served. It's not like they're rioting in a response to a uh, an acquittal in court. This just happened. Um, there is no indication that this guy is not going to have justice served to him. And yet. Their response to this is to burn down Target, to burn down AutoZone, to burn down and smash small businesses that are suffering. One video shows a woman in a wheelchair getting beaten up by these people. Folks, this has nothing to do with justice for George George Floyd. This has nothing to do with concern of police brutality. This has everything to do with using this as a pretext to exacerbate what they've already been doing in every inner city with crime growing, with criminals being released, with justice not being served more often on the other end. For every one case of a police officer doing this, I could give you 10 cases where they are too restrained and they get themselves or others killed. Nobody in the media reported as we did last year with the epidemic every day of cops being ambushed and executed, execution style, in almost every state, certainly in New York City, the war on cops. Now, look, I know a lot of you are ticked off at the police, as as I sure as hell am. And I've said this on the show as well. Most of them aren't advocates for this stupid corona fascism, but some of them are enforcing it. A lot of you are like, screw them, you know, let's throw the book at the police. But again, we can't act like liberals and throw everything we know about broad public policy out because of one bad apple and because we're upset about the corona fascism. Because the two are actually linked and they tie together. Having anarchy and mobs, violent mobs sacking every city. It's in Minneapolis, it's spread to L.A. God knows how how much the media will uh, fan the flames and it will go elsewhere. This can't be allowed to happen. It's not about the police. That's the big lesson that even my conservative colleagues are too scared to to mention. They're talking about, oh, look at that video. It's terrible. Yeah, we know. We all saw it. We get it. But are you going to show all the videos on the other side of the ledger? Are you going to show all these cases of the career criminals being let out? I mean, you had this crazy, crazy case out of New York. Where this guy 
This is from the New York Post. A Brooklyn man accused of attacking a woman so viciously he left her in a vegetative state. He had been charged with two prior assaults this year, but was freed twice without bail. Okay, so for all this talk, what they want to do is they want to show this and say, see, blacks are aggrieved people and there is a broad injustice against them and there's too much police brutality against them, too many arrests, too many incarcerations, and they want to use this to broadly handcuff law enforcement and to broadly push the incarceration when in fact the truth is the opposite the truth is 99 out of 100 other cases it's too many people but particularly african-americans that are not going deterred african-american criminals and particularly african-americans are the biggest victims of that breakdown in law enforcement this is what we're not talking about so i'm not going to sit in like cower because one policeman does this to somehow allow them to use that as a pretext to sack law enforcement, to let out even more criminals, to cause even more violence and crime against people who weren't responsible for this, innocent business owners. The same way that they're using coronavirus as a pretext for jailbreak, for tyranny, for debt, for welfare. You can have something that's true in a vacuum. But who says that this is the solution to it? Who says this is a broader problem? It's the same thing. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Let, let, let's unpack this. Because I have a lot to say about Minneapolis that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Because I've been covering Minneapolis in particular the last year or so. Really inspired by one of our listeners who is from Minnesota and has has really sent me a lot of good stuff there and it's inspired a lot of articles. Minnesota has been a ticking time bomb long before George Floyd. Okay, that that that's just a reality. It has nothing to do with the police. You could abolish the police tomorrow and it won't solve the underlying problem that we are now seeing come out in the riots themselves. And that is among young black inner city folks There is a breakdown of family. There's a breakdown of order. There's a breakdown of values. There's a snowballing effect that has fed on itself and has really accelerated the last couple of years by letting out the worst criminals imaginable. And they really affect the neighborhoods more than anyone else. Because remember, even in these neighborhoods, it's usually a small number of people committing most of the crimes. And they are now being undeterred and they're being released from prison. That happened without any of these police cases. Okay? Now, there's a name that some of you might know, but most people in the country don't know. Justine Damond. She was an Australian woman. She is white. She was murdered in cold blood by a black cop who was a Somali immigrant that was very much celebrated as the first Somali cop. She was reporting a sexual assault and went out into the back alley of her home to go up to the to approach the patrol car to to say, hey, here I am. Here's here's what's going on. I called you. And this guy, Noor, the Somali cop, just shoots her dead. Why weren't there any whites rioting after that? You know, I, I, I didn't see that happen. It's interesting. I mean, if we're against police brutality, I mean, shouldn't 
shouldn't there have been riots then? Now, ultimately, justice was served, and the guy did get, he was sentenced to 12 and a half years for manslaughter, but I will tell you that is likely only because it was an international incident and the Australian government really raised hell over it. But that illuminates a broader point about the focus of outrage on senseless murders in general. Why is the outrage as it relates to policing and crime only in one direction and only when the race of the people affected is oriented in a specific way? In other words, it's only when the victim is is black. It's never the t- 10 times, you know, when it's on the other side in 10 times greater numbers. And it's never about the broader black-on-black murder crimes. What about the 7,500 black victims of homicide every year? If black lives matter, as all lives should matter, why is there no outrage over those murders? And abolishing the police and handcuffing law and order and de-incarceration is only going to cause, it's going to cause pain for everyone. Businesses will be looted. All people will be robbed. But in terms of the homicides, the most people killed will be other blacks. You know, we reported last November there was a case of a 75-year-old getting off of a bus stop in Minneapolis. There's a huge surge in knockout crimes and um, subway violence in general, and particularly in Minneapolis. Leroy Devante Davis Miles allegedly brutally punched a 75-year-old. He fell and hit the concrete and he died. I don't see any reporting on that. I don't see any outrage. I don't see any rioting. Oh, well, Daniel, this is a government official. That was a private guy. Well, in the case of Noor, it was a it was it was a police officer. But the races were reversed, so it doesn't matter. So this is all about racial demagoguery. A lot of you see, everyone's gonna focus on Minneapolis, but as always on this show, we focus on things we're ahead of the curve. We focus on them before they happen. And remember, robberies were up. In the Twin Cities, 53%. St. Paul experienced record, record violent crime. I'm sorry, record murders. A lot of you might have seen there's been tons of videos of these knockout crimes in in the Minneapolis area. That happened before George Floyd. So that's not the cause of this. That is a pretext to accelerate and exacerbate a pre-existing problem. They took a legitimate injustice while ignoring the many injustices on the other side. And again, the media wants a racial war. This has nothing to do with prudence and justice. See, for people like us, you do the time. Sorry, you do the crime, you do the time. I'm a law and order guy. I don't care what your race is. I don't care if you're a cop or not a cop. But they're not about that. They're about racial politics. They're about turning a blind eye to violence and crime, unless it's a very specific type of case, then they'll champion it. But you got to look broadly. I'm going to give you statistics that are going to knock your socks off, but really drive home this point. According to the Washington Post database on police shootings, they had a database where they chronicle because they want to make a big deal. If you filter it out for unarmed African-Americans killed by police in the year 2018, that's that's. I'm going to use 2018 just because they have 2019. It's similar every year. I'm just using 2018 because that's the last year we, where, where we have FBI uniform crime data that I'm going to juxtapose this to in a minute. 17 unarmed African-Americans were killed. Now, I will tell you, and I think you well know, that not all 17 were unjustified. There are many cases like 
for example, the whole Ferguson thing was born out of this massive giant. This guy was really strong guy, was literally beating this cop within an inch of his life. He had no choice but to pull the trigger. Right? So that certainly was justified. There are cases where despite the guy being unarmed, you know, just given the situation, they don't realize that they come attack them. They don't know if they have a weapon or not. It's not unjustified. The case of George Floyd, it wasn't a shooting. It was a choking and certainly it was unjustified. I'm just telling you, clearly not all 17 and likely a majority of them are not unjustified. Not like the case of George Floyd. But let's say they are. Do you know that that accounts for 0.002% of the 7,407 black homicide victims last year, 89% of which were killed by black perpetrators? I understand, you know, there's a difference when it's a government official. I get it. But the reality is, you know, you can have zero outrage over the 99.99% of homicides and just riot over the 0.002%. Because there's also a broader lesson there. And let me go further with some statistics. Let me go further. We're seeing that the violence in inner cities, again, mainly involving blacks, is so bad that even the coronavirus shutdown didn't stop it. By the way, I just want to deviate a little bit here. You know what's funny? How I, I looked at some of the video footage of the rioting, a good number of them, including one of the ones who was beating up that woman in a wheelchair, was wearing a mask. And I don't mean like the typical ski mask, like the robber mask, like a medical mask. So but it, it's pretty funny how the media has the ability to create a cult behind wearing a mask and make it cool to follow the so-called edict law of wearing a mask but somehow they don't have the ability to make it cool to follow the laws of you know don't beat don't rob don't murder don't set fires it's kind of funny but even throughout all this they're they're scared enough the even the criminals are scared enough to cover their face they're scared of the virus but it still doesn't stop them from venturing outside and murdering people the murders in chicago in some cities they're actually higher the shootings in, in Brooklyn are up like 130%. You know what else is funny? If you have a crowd of 15 people praying within even six feet away from each other, they'll get arrested like they did in North Carolina. But if you have hundreds of people rampaging and setting fires, very few of them are being deterred or arrested, at least so far. But I digress. The notion that somehow blacks are broadly mistreated by the justice system in a disproportionate way is simply not true. Despite being 12% of the population, they compose 55% of homicide offenders, but also 53% of homicide victims. Remember that. They are going to be the victims of this. Black males. Let's drill down to black males. They account for 7% of the population, 45% of all homicides in the country. In 2018, African-Americans accounted for 54% of those arrested for robbery, 34% of those arrested for aggravated assault, 43% of those arrested for weapons violations. In total, they composed 37.4% of all violent crime arrests. Yet, despite all the complaints about black imprisonment, only 33% of state and federal inmates in 2017 were black. And by the way, based on the statistics we're seeing, how the black incarceration, incarceration is dropping 
um, demonstrably more than the white incarceration. Three years later, it's probably closer to 30%. Again, 37.4% of violent crimes are committed by them. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the black imprisonment rate has been down 28% from 2008 to 2018. While the white imprisonment rate dropped only by 13%, if you look at the jail level, the jail incarceration rate for blacks dropped 30%, the lowest level to 1990 since 1990, while the white incarceration rate has actually increased 12%. I think some of that's because of more whites getting roped into drugs than, than in the past, and that's why it's reflected in the increased jail numbers, but not imprisonment numbers. They get initially arrested, but contrary to what people think, most people for drugs do not wind up going to prison. That, that's my only way of reading that. But anyway, um, so despite all this, despite the fact that, I mean, there is not a drop in the proportion of blacks committing crimes, there's a massive drop in their incarceration. But again, who's going to be hurt by that? So what this demonstrates is that the underlying problem of violence among black youth, particularly in inner cities, has nothing to do with the police. We could abolish the police tomorrow. It will not save any of those lost lives. If anything, obviously it will cause more death and mayhem. Here's the sad reality of what this demonstrates. The vast majority of criminal interactions between police and the citizen are going to be with blacks. Because they are committing most of the violent crime in an insane degree beyond their proportion of the population. That is a reality. So the reality is that all narratives and stories and viral videos will overwhelmingly, between police and the citizen, will overwhelmingly be with blacks. The justified shootings, the unjustified shootings. The cases of excessive force and the cases of too little force where they got themselves and others killed and beaten, which we see all the time, which are much more numerous, but don't get reported. Folks, numbers don't lie. This is hard data. Okay, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. According to the National Crime Victimization Survey, published every year by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, out of the 593,000 interracial violent victimization crimes between blacks and whites reported in 2018. Okay, so this is not total crime. It's the number of interracial crimes just between blacks and whites, or about 594,000. 90% were black against white. Just 9.5% were the other way around. Now, remember, that is simply astounding. That would be astounding if blacks and whites were 50-50, you know, in terms of proportion of the population. But given that blacks compose 12% of the general population and whites compose 62%, right? So that's a little bit more than five, a five to one ratio. So there's, there's five times as many whites yet they commit 10 times more interracial 
crimes against whites and the other way around. And the ratio is becoming more skewed over time. In 2012-2013, blacks committed 85% of interracial victimizations. Whites were 15. So if anything, the tra trajectory is moving the other way. Now it's 90-10. Okay? So if you want to make this about race, we could talk about race. Folks, if this is a pretext, if this is a legitimate excuse to riot as the media backhandedly endorses, then let me tell you, by a factor of a million, if every time there was a black interracial violence against a white, there were, would be rioting, we wouldn't have a blade of grass standing in this country. But the reality is, you are doing nobody favors by obfuscating the full picture and using a terrible injustice to create a false narrative you are hurting nobody more than African Americans. That is hard data. They are the ones who will most likely be the victims of these crimes. But I want to tie this back to coronavirus. Why is it that there was no control last night? I mean, you get a guy, uh, you know, a business owner out there, the gym in New Jersey. I mean, Minnesota is horrible, horrible, horrible. 82% of all deaths are in nursing homes and they're locking down the entire state. You'll be arrested for life, liberty, and property. For opening a business. Yet if you burn down business after business, I'm not seeing arrests, I'm not seeing them stopped. Finally, they're asking to call in the National Guard. Why is that? It's because we now have the worst mix of anarchy and tyranny in this country. Tyranny for you and me, and anarchy for violent criminals. And what they do is they shroud it and enmesh it in racial demagoguery to scare people away from debating this. And I'm not going to be scared away from it. If this cop is found guilty, heck, give him the death penalty. I mean, you know where I stand on that. Fine. Because that's how we are. You target the problem. Same thing with coronavirus. You have a problem of nursing homes. Secure the nursing homes. You don't shut everyone down. You have one guy who commits a crime, if it's a police officer, go after him. But you need to go after criminals too. All criminals. True justice is blind. But we have racial demagoguery in this country. It's truly disgusting. I want to segue this back into the coronavirus issue. This is going to shock your conscience. So you know now there's a blame game and you know Murphy in New Jersey and Cuomo in New York, they're trying to cover up what they did and they're ashamed that they murdered thousands of people in nursing homes by wrongly panicking and treating this as a bubonic plague that's going to overrun the hospitals. They, they needlessly freed up space and sent sick patients back into the nursing homes and they killed the people that actually were going to be most likely to die from it and therefore through their actions, killed many more people than they would have by simply doing nothing. So at least they're moving away from it now, right? Folks, in Minnesota, even though it is the state with the highest percentage of nursing home deaths relative to the entire fatality pie, they're doubling down on it. Tom Hauser, 
It's a local local reporter. He was actually kicked out of the briefings. He's not a right winger. He's a, he's one of the main networks there. Minnesota Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm, so he reports here, says moving recovered COVID-19 patients from hospitals to long-term care facilities has been, quote, an affirmative part of their plan for managing hospitalizations. She says they are, quote, revisiting that policy, but it is still happening. Can you imagine? I mean, she openly says, yeah, it was a good policy. We're, we're revisiting it, but for now it's continuing. Folks, outside of nursing homes, you had like, what, like 100 deaths in the entire state of Minnesota? 99% have been either in nursing homes or had comorbidities. And they say it's a broad thing that it's so much going to flood the hospitals that we have to go and free up space to murder nursing home residents. When ironically, the hospitals are empty and the Mayo Clinic facilities had to furlough 40% of their staff. Again, come full circle. Look at Minnesota. Lock down an entire nation, entire state, because of a nursing home crisis, thereby engendering you to panic and kill nursing home patients by needlessly creating this hospitalization bogeyman and freeing up space. And same thing with with George Floyd. One cop does something murderous, so you allow anyone who happens to be of the same race as the victim in that case to just freely loot and burn and, and, and assault and barely do anything about it while criminalizing business owners that are now getting looted Oh, as long as they're wearing a mask, I guess it's okay. By the way, you saw Fauci said that he he actually admitted now that wearing a mask is a symbol. He admitted it. He admitted it. He told CNN, quote, I want to protect myself and protect others. And also because I want to make it, I, I want to make it be a symbol for people to see that that's the kind of thing you should be doing. So he admits between the lines, this is nothing but a symbol. Because frankly, Fauci, Fauci, just two months ago in March, said it's it's nonsense. Not in a clinical setting by a non-professional. You're, you're going to wind up cross-contaminating yourself. It doesn't help because these are micro-level aerosols like we spoke about yesterday. Most places with good ventilation, you're not going to have a problem. But if they happen to be around, the mask won't help anyway. This was this was the position of him. Until what? Until the media made it cool. It's the media driving everything. The media drives riots. They drive racial strife. They push the opposite of everything we should be doing at a given time. You could have two groups of people. And for every... Hundred times, A does to B, B does one to A. All the media has to do is focus on that, and it's true in a vacuum. It's terrible injustice that happened. And they could create, manufacture, drive, exacerbate fuel, and just gaslight an entire dangerous policy narrative and licensed to maim and kill in the name of seeking justice. That is how utterly 
contemptible our media is. Truly contemptible. I mean, if you would know about the story, the stories, again, and I know we're all upset at cops. I, you know what I've said about it. I, I am very upset about this fascism. But we can't ignore that most cops don't do this. Most cops put their lives in danger. Most cops use underwhelming force and really put themselves in gratuitous danger to defuse situations. You got to look at the whole picture. Again, for individual justice, it doesn't matter. You judge the case. But if you're going to make a broad public policy proclamation and drive a narrative off of this, no. The narrative they want to make is like, we're being too tough on crime. No, we're being way too weak on crime. One guy was a police officer, happened to be a murderous thug. But that has nothing to do with what's going on. And I'm not going to sit back and just not fight back against this. If you're going to make this a racial narrative to say somehow inner city blacks are, you know, have a valid grievance. I will present to you the ironclad data demonstrating that if anything, they get away with murder, literally, much more often than they don't. And they're going unpunished and undeterred. And the people that die the most are African-American victims. Because remember that. Don't ever forget. Every single year, 7,500 black victims of homicide, almost all of them committed by black perpetrators. Okay? So if, if you really cared about valuing the lives of inner city blacks, it couldn't be, even though this is a government official, a police officer, that you would focus 100% on this and never on the other side of the equation. Because remember, not th- this, this case is not justified. But in general, part of why the police are so engaged with them, in any sense, justifiably so, not justified, is because of all these statistics I'm citing. Is because of the crime. That is the antecedent to the problem. You solve the problem of black um, crime in inner cities and the, the breakdown of families and everything, then guess what? You solve so many public policy issues that are so much bigger than unjustifiable police killings in terms of numbers. And certainly you would solve that as well. It re- kind of reminds me of um, Prime Minister, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, famous uh, line where, you know, when people point to, to things the IDF does sometimes or, you know, once in a while you'll have an Israeli civilian kill a Palestinian and, and the media will blow that up. But like the fundamentals of what he says are true, which is that If we put down our guns, there would be no Israel. If the Palestinians put down their guns, there would be no war. There would be no problem. Meaning, fundamentally, you have to know where it's coming from. It doesn't justify every action anyone does under the banner of the other side. Like, you know, again, you have so many injustices done to police officers, killed by people of all races, but certainly among blacks just simply because, you know, it's just a disproportionate share of murderers. 
So that doesn't justify what was done to George Floyd. But remember, remember that the, the much larger public policy problem here is why the police have to wind up being so engaged in these areas. And recently, they've been less engaged. I mean, folks, I live just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, which has become almost like a punchline. Charm City. The police, after the case of um, Freddie Gray, and there it wasn't a homicide. The guy literally self-immolated. He banged, he was on drugs, out of control, and he banged his head up on something and killed himself in the police car. Their crime supposedly was um, not buckling him in, which had not been a procedure in place at the time. They did literally did nothing wrong. A black judge acquitted them. It was all bogus, but that doesn't matter. See, that that's another thing. Like, I'm just saying, let's say every year I'm just going to make it up. I'm sure it's more than that. But let's say there's two unjustifiable actions taken by police against citizens. Let's say black citizens. Now, let's say there's 500 the other way around. And let's say there's also 20 other alleged violent acts by police against them, but that turn out to be bogus. So you mix those with the two real ones, and it... And it Pours fuel on the fire, but it's but it, but it's BS. They've already built up such a narrative. Oh, look at Ferguson. Look at Freddie Gray. Uh, actually, no. Don't look at those. Those cannot be placed in the same pile as the Floyd situation. This is not even a right or left issue. This is utter common sense. Anyway, before we uh, run out of time, I really do want to get to some other things. So some of you might have seen a group of GOP senators, okay, from very red states, Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, John Cornyn, Texas, Mike Crapo, Idaho, James, James Rich, Idaho, Mike Rounds, South Dakota, Todd Young, Indiana, Lisa Murkowski, Alaska, Dan Sullivan, Alaska, and James Lanky Langford, Oklahoma. They wrote a letter to the president imploring him to um, hire more workers. More foreign workers. They have the nerve to start out. I'm not kidding you. They start out their letter talking about nearly 33 million Americans unemployed. Some of these struggling small businesses rely on labor that many Americans may not be qualified or able to perform even in the aftermath of the pandemic. Guess workers are need to boost American business. Due to the temporary and seasonal nature of the work, it is exceedingly difficult to find American workers even now. And then, and, and then here's the, the, the thing. They note that the CARES Act has created a disincentive for many American furloughed or laid off workers to finding new jobs. Well, dude, you guys voted for that. I mean, talk about what Elijah said to Ahab. Have you murdered and inherited? They create the problem and inherit and reap the benefits of it. They make it that Americans have no reason to work for any job that pays less than $60,000 a year. And then rather than trying to fix it and make that as part of any negotiation for the next bill, they're like, hey, Americans are going to want to work. We need more foreign workers. I mean, these are Republicans. We're not even talking about pale pastels anymore. 
There is zero difference, not a pale difference, zero difference between Republicans and Democrats. From the reddest states, mentally ill. There's your Republican Party. That's why our country is headed where it's headed. Truly sick. Also, remember Manu's Island, that island in Australia, where Australia used to keep refugees and then they made a deal with Obama to offload them here and Trump said he was going to block it but never did? Another 40 of those refugees have been flown to America. While you are locked down, they could fly to our country. I'm sure they are checked for coronavirus. A third of Americans now show signs of clinical anxiety or depression, according to the census. In the UK, attempted suicides by elderly have increased sixfold. Folks, (laughs) this is a country... That is completely lost. Psychiatrists wrote 86% more prescriptions for psychotropic drugs, including antidepressants, during the months of March and April compared to January and February. 86%. All for what? Over and over and over and over and over again, we see the same story. Everything we see every day. I know a lot of you have been sending me a lot of good evidence. And I appreciate your insights. But the same story. This has been much more widespread than we thought. Or at least some thought. We knew we knew it. Much more widespread. Started earlier. Has been around for several months. Therefore, the fatality rate is much lower. Much more asymptomatic. And once it, it, it goes through its, its peak... Nothing you do to lockdown will stop the deaths. And then once it's done with the peak, nothing you do to reopen will trigger more deaths. That is the broad reality. Japan ended its state of emergency. Ended its state of emergency. Do you understand that Japan's death ratio is 7 per million? It's 43 times lower per capita than the U.S. Tokyo had just 292 deaths. 156 of New York City and Tokyo's metropolis is like twice as large. It's the biggest one in the world. Densely populated? (laughs) You can't hold a candle to to Tokyo. Subways? They use subways all the time. It's a way of life there. Based on what we are conditioned to believe, you would think that how did Japan succeed? Well, the secret sauce, the ingredients in that success would have been Locking down everyone in their home with tape on their mouth and contact tracing every time someone took a dump in a bathroom. But no, they didn't do any of that. They didn't, they didn't do the mass testing that South Korea did. And they were just as successful as South Korea. All they did was they acted prudently to avoid super spreading mass gatherings and shut off travel early. Nothing helps late when we did it. The only things that do help if you do them early is stopping mass spreading events, which we said that's all you have to avoid. Not the shutting down small businesses and someone, you know, on a boat in a lake. It's the tiny bit that's responsible for most things. In Hong Kong, studies found that 20% 
were likely responsible for 80% of the spread in Israel. 1% to 10% were responsible for 80%. You deal with that from day one, you have a much better result. Israel did that. Japan did that. Israel did it with a lockdown. Japan did it without a lockdown. Lockdown was not the secret ingredient. That is not the ingredient. It was not needed. Nor is it the mass testing like they talked about with South Korea because Japan didn't do it. Nor is it the contact tracing because they don't have the sophisticated apps that Singapore was using. You act early. Thereafter, whatever you do doesn't make a difference. Lockdowns, mass mandatory testing, mask wearing, contact tracing, long after the introduction of the virus through large events is useless and only results in the terrible physical, mental health, and economic toll. That's it. And perhaps, interestingly enough, as I note, Japan probably saw this coming before anyone because they had the Diamond Princess dock at, um, what was that port? A Yokohama on February 4th, much earlier than anyone else. And they saw the danger But at the same time, they saw that it wasn't that bad. It was very limited to a couple people who died with pre-existing conditions there, but that broadly with everyone else, they didn't get that sick. Some didn't get sick at all. So they understood that you didn't need to shut down your country, but you acted quickly to shut off travel and avoid mass gatherings. Good hygiene. That's it. Now, again, to be very clear, a lot of you, a lot of you are going to say, come on, Daniel. Of course, Japan had a great result. There's all the Asian countries did, and there's something much more enduring. Enduring for two reasons. Number one, clearly they're healthier, less obese, but even more than that, probably because of the theory of cross immunity from other coronaviruses, which explains why even in Western countries, a good percentage don't seem to be getting it. And, and the virus seems to hit a brick wall, there it's even a larger percentage because they have coronaviruses a lot more often. That's a very valid theory. But again, the point is, it doesn't matter. If lockdowns are that necessary and work, Japan would have to have a worse result relative to the other Asian countries. I understand you're going to say, hey, you know, if they don't do a lockdown, okay, maybe they, they won't have a bad, as bad of a, of a result as a Western country that didn't do lockdown, according to their way of thinking. But it should still be worse than South Korea. It's not. That's the point. So, moreover, you don't need to rely on Asian countries. Look at Western countries. Look at Texas. Look at Tennessee. Look at Georgia. Look at Florida. Look at Switzerland. Look at Denmark. Look at Austria. Not just Sweden, but look at the countries that came out of the lockdown weeks ago. There was no second wave. Switzerland is doing so good. Remember, Switzerland is a good example. So um, Japan had seven per million. Switzerland had 222 deaths per million. Squarely within the average of Western countries. A little bit better than America. Not nearly as bad as Spain and Italy, but not as good as some of the Scandinavian countries. And, you know, so it's not like they didn't get it. It's not like you say, oh, well, Japan's and the the Asian countries didn't get it bad. No, they got it bad. But it ran its course. And once the course is over, it's over. I have a a graph on my um, article 
that demonstrates this. So now they've already been in phase one for a while. They've already opened up elementary schools for weeks. No problems. Now they plan to reopen all outdoor zoos and pools. All businesses allow all gatherings up to 300 people. They're opening all summer camps. All high schools. And um, they're encouraging grandparents to hang out with their grandkids. Denmark's the same way. Denmark's R0, that's the rate of reproduction, how you know the average number of infections caused by one person. So an R rate of one means one person infects one. You know, when it's at the peak, it's more like one, it's an R of three or four. It declined from 0.9 to 0.7 during the first week of May after they ended the lockdown. Even the director of the world, the health director of the World Health Organization, Maria Nira, said on Monday that there won't be, that, that you can't assume there's going to be a second wave. Quote, there are many models that advance with a high probability They speak from a punctual regrowth to a major wave, but this last possibility, meaning a major new wave, is increasingly being ruled out. Even even the WHO is, is, is moving beyond that. Oh, fine, we could open up, Daniel, but we need mass testing. Mass testing. No, the Norwegians realize that it's stupid because testing doesn't mean anything. Precisely because this is more widespread, more people did have it, but it's less fatal. The key is hospitalizations and deaths. And the Norwegians found that it's worthless to test an entire population, reserve it for nursing homes, they reserve it for healthcare workers, and those who appear sick. I mean, this is what you see. You literally see a crisscross. A new friend I met on Twitter from Colorado put out good chart from Colorado showing the crisscross. The number of confirmed cases skyrocketing simply because they're testing more people, stupidly, with the deaths and hospitalizations plummeting. <laughs> right? So more cases, fewer deaths. Because it's done. The peak is done. It's done. It's ran its course. And again, there are so many more theories out there. Do you know, do you know that um, it, it was a fascinating thing that his name is Colorado Hurricane. So it's CO underscore Hurricane. That's his uh, alias on Twitter. I happen to know who he is. I'm not going to reveal it, but that's his his name is CO Hurricane as in Colorado. They did they they have an ongoing serology test in Colorado. They're up to like 56,000 samples, not nationwide of one state. That's basically the amount Spain did in their entire country and Colorado is much much smaller. So that's a really nice sample size. And they found that more than 7.5% Probably 7.6% have already had it. A lot more than they think, than they have tested. And therefore, it drops the IFR to 0.25. Right on the money where CDC, quietly, but didn't advertise it, predicted nationwide recently that no, no one in the media is talking about. For those under 60, the IFR is 0.03. And again, and again, remember... Most of those are people with pre-existing conditions. So if you're healthy and under 60, or even healthy and 
70, 75, but not in a nursing home. Without a heart condition, a lot, a lot of them do have heart conditions, but a lot don't. My dad doesn't, thank God. Your IFR is, 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 is it's nowhere. But this notion that we're for sure going to have a second wave, you always want to be prepared. But like, let's stop with the panic porn. Rockefeller University put this out. The, the, a study, quote, this involved mixing the plasma with a pseudo-SARS-CoV-2 virus and measuring how well this mixture could still infect human cells in a dish. In 33% of donors, the neutralizing activity of plasma was below detectable levels. So remember, what they did is they took plasma donors of people who recovered. They wanted to see if it was, you know, if they were immune. And they conclude, quote, it's possible that for many in this group, their immune system's first line of defense had resolved the infection quickly before the antibody producing cells were called in. So for a while, we've been talking about on the show cross immunity, how some people aren't going to get it or they're going to get it maybe asymptomatically because they already had the common cold form of coronavirus in the last couple of years. And that's why you're seeing it hit a brick wall. And that's why this is pretty much over. That was a theory. It's not proven, but it's a theory. It's a very, it's a very educated theory based on a lot of observations we're seeing. But then it's even more than that. Then there's an even larger number of people who have had it. So in other words, we're seeing 7.6% in Colorado. Nationwide, CDC is, seems to be saying about 11% um, had it. Okay. So, really, it could be a lot more than that. It could be closer to 20%. Because in this survey, they found 33% of those who certainly did have it, they definitely had it, did not present the antibodies. So, we know they had it. So, when you have a serology test that, to see how many people have it, does it tell you how many people have it? No, it tells you how many people have antibodies. But like we noted, for some people... And again, this is where it's beyond my understanding of medicine. I'm just a public policy guy, but the basic understanding is that you know antibodies are produced when the body goes to war fully with a virus. But sometimes it doesn't need to go all out nuclear warfare to destroy a virus. And it's just it's innate immune system, whether it's the T cells, the B cells, whatever, T8, T4, that warded off. So it doesn't mean that more people didn't get it and that more people aren't immune. And likely they are. It's just very hard to quantify. But this was a really good study done by the Rockefeller University that really does demonstrate it. So we got a lot going on here. It's a lot going on. But what's the president doing? He's focused on dumping on Jeff Sessions. And by the way, Ryan Gerdusky put out a theory, and, and I, I've been saying this for a while, that it wasn't even Mueller, the Mueller recusal that that got Trump to get rid of him, because he was upset at him. But then he kept him on. He kept him on for like ten months. It wasn't until December 2017 that he got rid of him. Do you know what happened in December 2017, folks? The passage of the First Step Act, the Jailbreak Act. It's well known that. Jared Kushner hated Sessions, and not because of the Mueller thing. It was because of jailbreak. It was because he was a voice for victims of crime against criminals. Because again, it came out that Sessions offered to resign. So look, I feel by law I have to recuse myself. 
but that might hurt you. So here, I'll resign and you appoint a different attorney general. And he could have avoided all this. He did not accept his resignation. Trump is not denying that allegation from Sessions. That really does change everything. Even if you agree he shouldn't have recused himself, but you know the argument is he recused himself on Trump's dime, you know, with him on the hook, but not the way he did it. He offered to resign immediately. And that would have taken the pressure off of, off of Trump. Would have been a personal thing to Sessions. I have to recuse, therefore I'm going to resign. You get a new attorney general. You could have gotten Barr in there from day one, and that's it. That did not happen. He did not get rid of him until the jailbreak. Boy, there's a lot going on here. A lot more to talk about, but we're about out of time. We're not going to be back till Monday, so it's going to be several days without me. Listen to these episodes over and over again, particularly yesterday's episode is very interesting. I want you guys to help support our advertisers. If you're looking for an online university for your kids, because why play around with wearing a mask and fascism? Why go to these stupid universities anyway when you have more flexibility to do it online? Think about Ashford University. Go to ashford.edu forward slash Daniel, ashford.edu forward slash Daniel to find out about their online programs. They are backing this show. So if you believe in our message and want to fight back against the censorship, look, all we can do is retain our independence with private institutions, private companies, goods and services that are willing to put their name behind our message. And believe me, there's very few people like that. So go to ashford.edu slash Daniel. Check out if their programs are something that works for you. I know they have 60 different programs um, really good professors that are working in the industries while they're teaching. You know, really, it's it's, it's more of a, a a feel of education and job training than the entire multicultural university experience, which you want to avoid with your kids anyway. So that is the long and short of it for this abbreviated week. We'll be back next week in full force. Have a terrific weekend. Remain free. Remain vigilant and remain knowledgeable.